If you get me talking about like things that happened in college or I think about like races in college, it definitely like I can just like spiral in my own head and get frustrated and kind of like disappointed with myself and the way things turned out. And so it's definitely in the back of my mind. I would like to prove to myself that like I do belong whether it be at like the NCAA level or the professional level like I just believe inherently that like I am talented enough to do it I just have to be patient and like let it kind of come to me rather than like go searching for it I think peach tree although it's just one result and it really doesn't mean all that much in like the grand scheme of the running world it has meant a lot for me and validating what I've been doing for the last year and a half, two years. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. That was Fred Huxham that you just heard from a few seconds ago, and I'm your host, Mario Fraioli. Every week on this show, I glean insight and inspiration from athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running through long-form conversations that are a bit different from the ones that you'll hear elsewhere. In addition to the podcast, I publish a weekly newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, where you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a roundup of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to lately. Subscribe today at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you'll start receiving it next week. Okay, Fred Huxham. This is his first podcast, and I am super excited to introduce him to you. Fred, who is 25 years old, just finished second at the Peachtree Road Race on July 4th in 2845. That race was the 10K National Championships on the roads, and he was just two seconds behind race winner Sam Chalenga and a few places ahead of Galen Rupp, Jake Riley, and Abdi Abdurrahman, all three of whom will represent the United States at the Olympic Marathon in Tokyo. In this conversation, we talked about Peachtree, how it went down, and what that performance means to Fred at this point of his career. He told me about how he ended up in New Hampshire, training with Ben True and Dan Kurtz, and what the next few months look like for him. We talked about his high school career at Redwood in California, and his relationship with coaches Laura and Jake Schmidt, both of whom I've had on this podcast, by the way, so be sure to check out those episodes if you haven't already. Overcoming frustration and disappointment during his collegiate career at the University of Washington, why he's got a chip on his shoulder, how he uses that to his advantage, and a lot more. There's no sponsor for this week's show, but if you'd like to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support, where for as little as a buck a week, you can help keep The Morning Shakeout sustainable and also gain access to some exclusive content like The Weekly Rundown, which is my Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, the occasional emergency pod, and other perks that pop up from time to time. That's themorningshakeout.com slash support. A big thank you to all of you who are already members. Your support means so much to me, and I cannot thank you enough for it. Okay, that's it for the introduction. I hope you enjoy going long with me and Fred Huxham.
first thing that I want to talk to you about is Petrie. What was it like for you to go into that race as a relative unknown and take down the three guys who are going to be representing the U.S. at the Olympics just a few weeks from now? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a funny experience. Um, it wasn't necessarily what I expected, you know? I mean, going into it, I mean, fun, it's funny just, like, rewinding a little bit. Like, basically, heading into March, I strained my adductor, mm -hmm. and I, like, didn't run all that much through the whole month of March. And so, like... Up through, like, April, May, I was, like, still kind of coming back, and I had gone out to New Hampshire to, like, basically visit my friend, um, Dan Kurtz, and he's been training with Ben True for, like, the last eight or nine months, um, and I had gone out there and basically was getting my butt kicked for like the first six weeks that I was there and it wasn't really until like the last like three or four weeks leading into Peachtree that things had started to go well again and so I was like fairly confident that I could do well at Peachtree like I thought that maybe on a good day I could be top five you know um but I was very prepared to have those marathon guys just slam the pace from the gun you know like I thought that my race plan essentially was to try and like hang on as long as I could and it would just be kind of a suffer fest the whole way until like if I could make it to the kick I figured that I could probably outkick like a marathon <laughs> guy you know because in theory they would probably only have like one pace um and yeah it was it was uh it was pretty wild. Like, it didn't really hit me for a long time. And in some ways, I think it still hasn't. Um, you know, like, I, I essentially, when we had gone out slow at Peachtree, I had figured that, okay, someone's going to make a really hard move up the hills, um, sort of on the back half of the race. Um, and that kind of, that happened, but... I was able to like stick with all the moves and people just kind of disappeared as we kept going. And like, I wasn't really thinking about it. And then, you know, I'd never been on the course before. Uh, and so I was just kind of trying to like stick with everybody. Um, and we came on to this, like we were approaching this left turn that I now know is like a half mile to go or so. Um, and there were only really like five of us left at that point. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't know, I just wasn't thinking of it. Like I was just very caught up in the race. Um, and Sam made a very hard move. And like I tried to cover it as best as I could, but I also didn't know where the finish line was. I couldn't see the finish line either. Um, and, you know, like I basically kicked and ended up getting second. Um, but yeah, to beat like Jake Riley and Abdi and Galen Rupp is just crazy. Like, I don't know it. I thought that I could probably beat Jake Riley and Abdi, honestly. Um, like I figured that on a good day, they wouldn't drop me before the finish and then I would outkick them 
when I learned that Galen Rupp was in the race, I was like, okay, Galen's probably going to win. Um, I don't know what place he was at the trials, but you know, he was like fifth, sixth, probably. Mm-hmm. And you know, Galen's someone that I like watched all the time growing up in high school, you know. And so I just didn't really think that there was a world that I would beat him. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's it's surprising to me that I beat those guys in some sense. Had you ever lined up in a race against Galen before? I hadn't. It was the first time that I raced Galen. Um, and yeah, I mean, I... So you're 1-0 against Galen Rock. I'm 1-0 all time, um, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy sentence, but um, it's a cool one for sure. Looking back at the race itself, while you were in it, did you mm-hmm. feel any sense of intimidation or i mean you just said how you figured galen would probably win the race but once it started did you think you had a shot or as the race went on did your confidence continue to grow yeah i'd say so i mean it was interesting because i hadn't raced at that point in well i i raced at a sound running meet in texas in february um, I raced the 10K, but I ended up dropping out. It's pretty uh, hot and humid for that one, if I remember correctly. I want to say like 75% of people <laughs> dropped out of that race. Um, but, you know, it was still like disappointing, and I would never dropped out of a race before. Um, so I think I was a little bit surprised with myself. I think it ended up being the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just wasn't sure how I would react mentally um, kind of being in a race again. Um, you know, in the past, like I would just get caught up in the race, you know, and like just every, I guess, competitive fiber in myself, like takes over and I'm not really thinking and like, I'm just essentially trying to win the race. And so I wasn't sure if that was going to happen again. Like I thought that it probably would, but I didn't really know. Um, and when we went out, kind of slow like I want to say we were between 440 and 450 for the first mile um I was like oh well I feel great this is awesome um I knew kind of the like profile of the course and so I knew that after the first mile we were just going downhill um for basically the next two and so I was like all right I can make it to 5k for sure like I'm not gonna get dropped on this downhill um and really I was, you know, my confidence had grown a little bit as we'd gotten to 5K, but sort of as these moves started to happen on the hills, um, on the backside of the course, uh, I could just tell that I was responding well to, like, the moves that were happening, Um, maybe a bit better than some of, like, my competitors were. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, all right, well, this is going well. And every time we would hit a hill. I didn't know how long the hill was. And so like, it must've happened like four or five times where I was like, all right, if this hill keeps going, I'm probably in trouble. But every time the hill would finish, I'd be like, all right, like I can keep going. Um, and so like those, those series of moves that I covered, I guess just helped build my confidence through the whole race. Really. 
It's almost like you were waiting for the hammer to drop, and every time that it didn't drop, you were pleasantly surprised. And like, all right, I guess I'm going to hang in for another mile. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I had kind of known just from doing like a lot of 10k training and from running part of that 10k race in February that like chances were I was going to make it to four miles for sure. Um, and that's when things start to get pretty hard. And there was there was like the the lead truck that was like leading us down the road that had a clock on the back. And uh, yeah, basically through the race, I was like, okay, make it to 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then once I made it to 18, I was like, all right, you could make it to 20. And I was like, make it to 22. I was like, all right, if you make it to 24, you only have a mile to go and you're fine. Like, Might as well give yourself a shot yeah, at that point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things just, were going kind of in my, you know, they're going my way. And so, yeah, my confidence was building the whole time. As far as I know, you don't have much post-collegiate road racing experience. Your racing has mostly been on the track, on the cross-country course. Do you think it was to your advantage being in this unfamiliar environment where you had no idea what you were getting into as far as the course was concerned? I don't think it hurt me. Um, I mean, it probably plays to my advantage a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, in some ways it didn't let me overthink things. Right. Um, And essentially I was like, all right, well, I'm just hanging on for as long as I can. Um, So, yeah, maybe, maybe it did like playing to my hands a bit. Um, I'm not sure really. When did you make the decision to go down to Peachtree? So honestly, I'm not sure exactly when, um, when I started to like put together weeks of training, um, like in May again, Mm -hmm. um, I had talked to Ben, um, and Dan, and, you know, they're like, well, what races are you thinking of doing? Like, what like, what would you be interested in doing? And I kind of went on my own and looked at races and, like, reconvened with Ben. And Ben was like, well, you know, I think that Ben is a big believer in, like, doing road races when you're kind of, I don't know, I guess early on in your career. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a good way to make money. And it's, I would say it's a bit more forgiving than the track as well. For sure. Um, and so he was like, you know, I think you should run Peachtree. I think you should run Bix. I think you should run Falmouth. Um, you should look at the 20K championships. And so really he put a bunch of like road races kind of in my brain. Um, and I was looking at those as well. And I was looking at some track races. And uh, we kind of decided that like racing in june would be a little bit too soon um and so peach tree in july just made a lot of sense um but yeah that was probably sometime in may and you don't have an agent or anything correct no i'm pretty much doing everything <laughs> my own um so you had to register yourself for peach tree yeah yeah i've been registering myself for you know all the races i make the travel and the hotels and stuff and yeah, I mean it. 
it works out. Like I could definitely see how it would be overwhelming. And I honestly, sometimes I do find it a bit overwhelming, but like, I don't know, maybe because I traveled a fair bit as like a kid growing up with my family, like I'm fairly used to it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, in some ways, like it's really all not that much different from like high school or college when you're traveling to meets, you know, you're just the one that decides like, what time you're actually going to go and where you're going to stay. But it's like, it's not that complicated, really. You had a pretty high bib number for Peachtree. While all the other guys had their name on their bib, was there any confusion when you stepped to the start line as to whether or not you belonged? Or were you able to convince the elite athlete coordinator, like, hey, I'm pretty legit. I belong here with these fellas. Yeah, so I think technically I was in the sub elite category or like basically one wave below the elite men. Um, but you know, you basically start right at the same him. time. Um, like I, I'm sure I could have started on the front line if I wanted to. Um, but you know, I started on the second line and you know, in some ways that's where I wanted to be. Cause I just wanted to be tucked in. Um, but you know, it was funny because, like, I didn't stay in the race hotel or anything, you know? Um, and so, like, one of my pre-race shakeouts, I basically ran from my hotel to the race hotel, picked up my bib, and then ran back. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just a, it was kind of a funny experience. It was also nice, like, when I showed up at my hotel, I didn't see a single runner, you know, like, whereas if I'd stayed in the race hotel, I would have known a fair number of the people that were there. And so in some ways it like was just more of a casual experience. Helped you to stay more relaxed. Mm -hmm. I'd say so. Has the result from Peachtree opened up any sort of professional opportunities for you in terms of sponsorship? So... I don't know, to be honest. Um, I haven't really reached out to anyone mm -hmm. um, in terms of like looking for sponsorship or like an agent or something. Um, I'm sure that it hasn't hurt me. Um, I would imagine that. I yeah, I mean, I would imagine that it helped me in a big way. You know, um, you look at the results and pretty much everyone that I beat is sponsored. So you would think that like, okay, I'm good enough to be a sponsored athlete. Um, I will say that it has helped a lot in terms of being my own agent and like registering for other races. Now when I email people, they're a lot nicer to me. Um, well, you can say I was second at a national championship. That carries a lot of weight to it. Yeah. I mean, I basically give them my like usual spiel about how I'm like a graduate of the university of Washington and like a quick blurb about what I did in college. And then I write like, and I was second at Peachtree and then they're like, Oh, we'd love to have you. Um, which is quite a bit different than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. Why don't you fill me and my listeners in on your current situation. You mentioned how you're living in New Hampshire, you're training with Ben True, and 
Dan Kurtz. How did that all come to be, and how are you thinking about just your your life in general right now? That's a big question, um, and it has kind of a long answer. Um, it goes almost a couple years back now. Um, so I went to the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, my coach for the first four years was Greg Metcalf, um, and then we got a new coaching staff my senior year or my fifth year. Um, and so my coach was Andy Powell, and Chris Kwiatkowski was our assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a whirlwind change. Um, it was a bit daunting at the time because I I didn't know that Andy Powell was going to be my college coach, you know, like it could have been anyone. Um, you know, I remember I was actually standing in my kitchen when I got a call from Andy the first time. And he was like, hey, Fred, this is Andy Powell. I'm going to be your coach. And I was like, like, that's just wild, you know? Like, I didn't think that Andy was going to leave Oregon. Um, and obviously, I was very excited that he did. Um, but, yeah, I had a great last year at um, Washington under Andy and Chris. Um, I like both of them a lot and uh, had a pretty good relationship with them. I guess I do have a good relationship with them. And this was 2019? Uh, 2018? Probably 2019, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, I ran fairly well my last year. Um, I wasn't an All-American in cross country, but I had my highest finish ever i'd been a little banged up in the summer so like all things considered i was pretty happy with that my indoor season i was an all-american um in the 3000 and then didn't have like the best outdoor season but like altogether the year was really fun and i just had a good time and uh i just felt like i had left some things like untouched that i still wanted to accomplish um and so after i raced like once or twice in the summer afterwards um and kind of after i'd taken a break and everything and come back to seattle um i asked andy if he would keep coaching me post collegiately um sam prakel was there at the time and i'd known that like a few guys were going to come to Seattle um, to sort of have a little like training group out there. And he said no, (laughs) which was funny. Um, But he did say you could have Chris coach you and it essentially be the same thing. Um, And so that was fantastic. Um, Chris Kwiatkowski started coaching me pretty much right away. Um, And, you know, it is fairly similar. Andy and Chris are on the same page on a lot of things. Um, And it was nice. Like, in retrospect now, it makes... I'm happy that Andy had said no. Um, You know, he handles so much um, all the time and uh, probably just wouldn't have had enough, like, time to give me the attention that I probably would need and like deserve to be successful you know um and instead got that through chris and um so yeah we had a good group of guys come out to seattle um we had sam prakel 
We had Amos Barlosmeyer, who's now um, Bowerman. with Bowerman, um, also going to Tokyo. So that's super sick. Um, love to see that. Uh, we had Will Gohegan out there as well. Yep. Um, Dan Kurtz came out. That's how I met Dan. Um, and then myself. So it was the five of us. Uh, you know, we trained together. We trained with the UW guys as well. Um, and that went pretty seamlessly up until COVID hit. And then once COVID happened, everyone kind of went their separate ways, except for me and Dan. And so Dan and I were in Seattle, uh, pretty much just the two of us training together, hanging out together. We were kind of our like quarantine buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, he was basically the only person that I saw for <laughs> uh, a number of months. Um, and so we put together this like spring training block, um, finished with this like 10 mile time trial that went fairly well. We were just like working on strength stuff. We wanted to break 50 minutes for 10 miles and managed to do so. What'd you run? We ran 49, 49.50, something like that, um, which at the time was like fantastic for both of us. Um, you know, I had run, I had run 10 Ks in cross, and I had run one 10 K on the track at Pack 12s, but it hadn't actually gone very well. Um, so to go and run 10 miles under five minute pace at the time was like kind of mind-blowing to me um and not that there were any races happening at the time or there was any certainty around ra- when races were going to come back but how were you thinking about your future as a competitive athlete did you want to stay with 5k 10k for a while was that 10 mile time trial to sort of dip your toes in the water of some longer distances and see what you could possibly do at like a half marathon or something yeah so i guess rewinding a bit the fall following the spring in which I graduated. So this time trial happened in May, I want to say. So if we rewind to September, I was going to run a 10 miler. Um, I forget where, but I was going to run a 10 mile race, but it ended up not happening because my foot got a little banged up. Um, And so I was going to dip my toes kind of into road racing and the longer stuff that fall, but it hadn't happened. Um, and so this was just kind of a nice replacement. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, very low key. We did it on, uh, this like dirt trail, um, out in Duval, if you know Washington at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to work on my strength, you know, Um, that's what Chris and I decided would help me the most. I didn't actually run all that much in college, um, in terms of mileage. Um, and so we're trying to focus on like running more mileage and staying healthy, um, and just kind of developing that strength that, you know, you need if you're going to run a 5k and a 10k on the track and, you know, be competitive and successful. Um, and so, you know, I'd probably run about 70 miles in college and I was probably running like 85 to 90 at that point. Um, which was cool. Um, I managed to stay healthy and all that and had a good time trial. Um, so we were like, all right, like this tempo stuff, 
is going all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a successful spring. Um, yeah, I I wasn't. I knew that I wasn't going to be racing for a long time, um, just because of COVID. And so I don't think I was thinking about it all too much. I was just trying to like, I don't know, be the best athlete that I could be once races actually did come back. What else were you doing with your time besides running? Um, let me think. Honestly, probably not that much. Um, I, for a long time, was thinking that I would go to grad school for architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time that year like working on my portfolio um and like drawing um turns out when i had the opportunity to apply to grad school i didn't actually do it (laughs) but it was good that i had something else going on um but yeah honestly didn't have a whole lot going on um outside of running at the time um i was like you know, in retrospect, and I guess still in a way now, um, have been in sort of this like weird limbo state. Um, you know, I had like saved enough money through college that I could like run for a year or maybe a little bit more. Um, and I'm also like fortunate enough to have parents that will support me, um, like financially and through everything else as well. Um, and so, yeah, I honestly didn't have a lot going on at the time. So you really wanted to see what you could still do in running. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I love running just period. Um, and I, I say that I'm fairly frustrated with the way that my college career went. Um, Let's dig into that a little bit. Why? Why? Uh, so, coming out of high school, I had, I guess I just had a chip on my shoulder a bit coming out of high school. I had run a decent cross-country season for myself. Um, I was fourth at... Um, our state meet in division three, which is kind of brutal. Uh, I ran like quite a bit faster than I had the year before and I was one place worse. So I was unhappy about that. And I actually qualified for NXN because I'd run fast enough throughout all the divisions of California. Um, but the plan had been all year that I was going to run footlocker. And so I turned down the NXN invitation and went to footlocker West and didn't make it out of the West, um, which was pretty hard for me and honestly made me pretty frustrated. Um, And it ended up being a really good thing for me. Um, I was super consistent that winter with training, um, probably to a level that I hadn't been before um, and had a fantastic track season, ended up winning state um, in the two-mile uh, and just kind of carried that momentum with me into my freshman year, um, at Washington. I ran cross country for, um, like I ran as part of the varsity squad 
um, that fall. Uh, didn't do anything particularly crazy, but I, you know, I made the Pan Am like junior cross country team. I went to Columbia and, you know, had a great experience just representing the U.S. and like meeting some of the other um, high school seniors and college freshmen that made the team. Um, had like a good rest of indoors and outdoors. I ran 1350 as a true freshman, um, which I was fairly proud of. And then like going into my sophomore year, everything got a bit better. Um, but I got hurt during outdoor. Um, and so that ended up being just kind of the start of like an injury cycle that mm-hmm. I couldn't really get out of. Um, like I still ran decently well that year um, and kind of showed flashes of what I could do later on in college. Um, but pretty much from then until my senior year just was like hit or miss with things. Um, couldn't put more than a few months together of healthy running. Yeah, I never put like a full year of running together um after that um like i would make it through the fall make it through most of indoors and then like get hurt and not actually have the opportunity to compete during outdoors um which was you know it's just frustrating like it's it's really hard when your body doesn't like let you do what you want to do um or at least it is for me Um, and so that was something that like I struggled with in college and I guess partly probably feel like I needed more help. Like, you know, I think I, I probably pushed too much in college, to be honest, uh, like worked out too hard, ran too hard all the time and I, it was because I was like trying to catch up on this time that I'd lost essentially. Um, and because of that, I like never actually caught up, um, and never really got to like put together like a season that I was really proud of. Um, until I was proud of my like senior indoor season. Um, you know, I PR'd it. 3k and 5k i was 10th at ncaa's i thought that like you know that was like the start of what i could do essentially um and so you know having that happen my last year i was like all right well if i can carry this momentum like forward i think i could be pretty good um yeah because i thought i could be better than 10th in the ncaa is that chip still on your shoulder yeah for sure Um, yeah, if I, (laughs) if you get me talking about like things that happened in college or I think about like races in college, it definitely, like I can just like spiral in my own head and get, um, frustrated and kind of like disappointed with myself and the way things turned out. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's definitely in the back of my mind, um, you know, like I, you know, I, I just, I would like to prove to myself that like I do belong, um, whether it be at like the NCAA level or the professional level. Um, like I just 
believe inherently that like I am talented enough to do it. Um, I just have to be patient and like let it kind of come to me rather than like go searching for it. Um, which, you know, I'm not perfect at, <laughs> like I can still get myself into trouble, but I've definitely like learned a lot since being, um, a college sophomore. What will it take to let go of those past frustrations and disappointments? Cause it sounds like you're still holding on to them to some degree. Yeah. I mean, I don't want it to sound like that I can't get over it because I think in some ways I have come to a lot of peace with it, um, at least relative to where I used to be with it. Um, I think at this point it's more of a like positive thing that I use for myself. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very motivating to me, you know, um, and part of me hopes that like in some ways I hope that like I always have that chip on my shoulder like I think that um using it to your advantage is very um I guess like advantageous uh but I also hope that that chip on my shoulder becomes something else you know um yeah I mean I think peach tree although it's just one result and it really doesn't mean all that much in like the grand scheme of the running world. Um, it has meant a lot for me and like validating what I've been doing for the last like year and a half, two years. Um, so yeah, I mean, in some ways I hope it doesn't change, but in some ways I hope it does. Um, did you feel like you needed something like that to just validate everything that you've been through and to keep you motivated and hungry to continue pursuing this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I honestly was and have been like, there was, there's been like probably six months this past year where I was like, basically deciding between whether or not I was going to like give running one last shot or if I was essentially going to like move into San Francisco and start working. Um, and you know, I would have kept running, but just not at like a competitive capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I, I do think that I needed to race well and just kind of show myself that like, Hey, like what you've been doing has had meaning and purpose. And like, this is something that you're supposed to do and you're capable of doing. Um, yeah. I mean, just going back to like where I've kind of been training and how things have kind of transpired, like Dan and I had run that time trial in the spring, um, of last year. And basically after that, Dan moved back to Maine um, and ended up, I'm not exactly sure how it transpired, but Dan essentially got word that Ben was looking for a training partner in New Hampshire um, and kind of just pursued that, um, went out, like checked out 
Hanover, checked out Ben. He was like, all right, Ben's cool. Like, this is a phenomenal opportunity. Like, Ben is, I don't want to put words in Dan's mouth, but Ben is definitely, like, a hero of Dan's, um, you know. And so... Well, they both grew up in Maine. Yeah. I mean, Ben is, I mean, short of making the Olympic team as accomplished as any other male distance runner in this country who's still competing today. I can understand that. Yeah, you know, like he's, Ben's done it essentially on his own on the East Coast for the last like 10 to 15 years. Um, And, you know, like, (laughs) it's, it's, I don't know, it's inspiring. It's like badass. It's, you know, it's a whole number of things. And uh, so I was really excited that Dan had gone out there and, uh, Dan and I had become really close in the spring, and so we had kind of continued talking, uh, even though I had stayed in Seattle and Dan had gone out east. Um, I was still working with Chris, um, pretty much doing things on my own. Um, Like, I wasn't meeting with any of the UW guys because of COVID, Um, and so I was doing workouts on my own. I would meet Chris pretty early um basically did that through the fall um i was supposed to race uh 10k at um one of the sound running meets in december i want to say um that didn't end up happening i was in really good shape uh i probably should have run the 10k there um but i i was just having too hard of a time in seattle to be honest like i i'd been living alone in seattle for the last like three years and you know for the first two years it was never an issue like i could go see my friends there are people around yeah yeah we'd like hang out get dinner do whatever um but that like period of time in COVID just like really wore me down. Um, and so although training had gone really well, I was in really good shape. I just wasn't in a mental place that I felt like I could go like put myself on the starting line and race. Um, and so I basically at that point decided that I was probably going to move back to California because I didn't feel like things were working in Seattle. Um, and so I went home, I was pretty frustrated and like disappointed that things had gone the way that they had. Um, and I basically decided that like I'd done all this training, I could still taper and like run really hard on my own anyways, like no pressure, no nothing. Is this when you did the half marathon? Yeah. Um, I remember seeing that on Strava. I'll let you tell the story. It's not mine to tell. Yeah. Uh, basically, having had, like, in my head that I wanted to get stronger, I wanted to be better at these longer distance events so that when I went back to the track, like, I would just be able to hang longer, kick harder, all that stuff. Um, I was like, all right. 
I'm at home. Like, what can I actually do? Um, and I mapped out this like half marathon route that's basically like less than half a mile from my house. Um, I asked my mom if she would bike with me and, uh, basically on a Sunday morning got up and I don't know what time I started seven, six forty-five, something like that. And I was like, I'm just going to run a half marathon basically as hard as I can. Um, and I was like, I know I'm in way better shape than I was in the spring. So I'm going to try and run five minute pace for the first 10 miles. And then I'll just close as hard as I can the last like 5k or whatever. Um, ended up going extremely well. Uh, I ended up running like 455 pace for the first 10 miles and had a lot left. Um, and so I want to say I ran like 63.25 for a half marathon. Yeah, I remember it was like 103 something. I remember seeing that pop up my feet. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I used to run those same bike paths all the time. Our old apartment was, was right on the route that you had made your half marathon on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I was in good shape and I was a bit frustrated, which I'm sure helped as well. Um, did you run that on a lot of emotion? I ran the last like 5k on a lot of emotion for sure. Just all that pent up yeah. stuff from yeah. the year before coming yeah. to a head. Yeah. And you know, like in some ways, like I was pretty happy while I was doing it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, like it was going well. I saw, I saw my, I used to see this chiropractor in high school, um, who I like a lot. Um, Dr. Katz. Um, and like, just by chance ran by his house. He was in his driveway. He like yelled for me. Um, I actually saw Laura the morning that I was running the half as well. Laura Schmidt. Mm -hmm. Um, who is my high school coach Former uh, morning shakeout guest. We'll talk about her in a little bit. So, you know, like I felt like it was sort of this celebration of like me just liking running, you know, um, and also just being frustrated with the way that things went. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it went very well. Like if you split my last 10 miles from that half marathon, I ran like 48 flat um, and had only run like 49.50, like six months or eight months before. Um, and also like my goal had been to run an Olympic trials time at that 10 K in December. Um, and obviously the marathon trials had already passed, but if I'd run that half marathon time in an actual half marathon, I would qualify for like the marathon trials, which kind of blew my mind. Like I really thought like if you, I could run under 65 or 64 minutes, that would be fantastic. You still haven't officially raced that distance, but did you like it? Can you see yourself moving up in distance, if not sooner, eventually, later, and seeing what you can do at half marathon, marathon type stuff? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's funny to me. I think it's, 
If I had my choice, I would just be a miler. Like, I would run the 15 or the mile, and I would just be very content and happy about it. You and me both, man, but I don't yeah. think either one of us were blessed with the speed necessary to do it at the highest level. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately for me, all my tempo workouts pretty much go um, pretty smoothly. Like, I don't even really have to think about them. Um, and so I've known that for a while. And so I've known that I've kind of been doomed. Um, and so, yeah, I'd run a half marathon again. Like, I thought it was fun. Um, I do think that the way that half marathons are generally run, I'd probably have a much different experience, <laughs> you know? Like, I went out very controlled and closed hard, um, where I think, like... Different story when you're competing against other people. Yeah, in a typical half marathon, we'd probably go out hard. And it would get hard much quicker. Um, but, yeah, I would I would like to stay away from the marathon, but I don't mind. Well, I say I'd like to stay away from the marathon for now, um, or maybe as long as I can, but I don't mind running a half marathon. I think that, like, 10K fitness and half marathon fitness are a lot closer than people think. Oh, I agree with that completely. I mean, there's really two ways to come to a half marathon you either move up from the 10k or you're moving down from the marathon and a well-trained 10k runner they're running pretty high volume they're fairly strong but they're also a lot sharper than than the marathoner and and you can see the difference when folks are racing that distance i always think of like dathan ritzenheim he ran 60 flat after he finished i think it was sixth in the world at 10k on the track you know a few weeks later most people when they're ripping those fast half marathons it's usually coming off of a track season so i think you're spot on about that yeah um yeah i mean like i hadn't done any half marathon specific work at all and i think you know you've seen dathan do it you've seen other people do it where they run a half marathon after a track season and they run really fast um so i think that you know if you're a good 10k guy you can run 5k you can run a half marathon um it should all be like within your wheelhouse, really. The Olympic trials on the track just passed us a few weeks ago. The next one's only three years away at this point because of COVID. I think you'll be, what, 28 when they roll around next. Are you still eyeing that as a long-term goal, or is it too far away at this point to tell? Yeah, um, it's definitely in my head. Um, I mean, obviously I wanted to run in this last one, um, when I basically just didn't run all that much in March because of my adductor, I kind of realized that that probably wasn't going to happen cause I hadn't run, um, a qualifier at that point. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird to think that it's three years away. Cause in like, if I don't think about that in running terms, that sounds like a long time. Um, but at this point, I think I've sort of realized that I have to think about running in terms of like, at least the progression of running in years, not like seasons or weeks or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if I can stay healthy for the next few years, I mean, I think that I could run very well at those trials. We've gone off on a lot of tangents, but I want to come back to my original question. So how did you end up in New Hampshire? Yeah, so 
We almost got there. Not quite, though. We're making our way there. <laughs> I mean, it is a very long answer. Like, it's hard to get the whole way through. And no, I, I, I love all the details, so keep going. Um, so I had run that half marathon in December. I basically built my mileage back up. I was training like per- fairly hard again. And basically this whole time that Dan had been in New Hampshire and I had been either in Seattle or in California, Dan's like, you have to come out and visit. Like you have to come out and visit, like come out in the fall. The trees look amazing. It's like the most beautiful place on earth. Like you'd love it out here. And you know, I, I kept agreeing with him, but I was like, well, I can't actually do it. Like how would it work with training and all that stuff. And really, in retrospect, it would have been fine. Um, But at the time, it just seemed like it couldn't work. And so essentially went through the winter, got into like pretty good shape again. Not that I like got out of shape, but just kind of continued to build and get like race sharp again. Um, Went to Texas actually met Dan in Texas. We both ran at um, that sound running meet here in the 5K. I ran the 10K. Neither of us actually ran particularly well. Um, I dropped out of the 10K, uh, which, you know, I wasn't all that happy with, but at the same time, I knew that I wasn't going to run super fast that night, and I thought that, okay, I can go back to training for a few weeks and then run a 10K in better conditions and get my qualifier. Um, Was Chris still coaching you remotely? So, yeah, that's an important detail. When I moved back to California, um, kind of in December, Chris and I stopped working together. So Chris had coached me through the fall and everything. Um, And then sort of in January, we had a conversation where it was like, you know, if I'm going to be in California and you're going to be in Seattle, it doesn't really make that much sense for him to continue coaching me. Um, and so, you know, like no hard feelings or anything, but you know, like I, I was going to try and see if like, maybe I would have my high school coach coach me, Laura Schmidt. Um, or maybe, I'd have someone else coach me, Um, but uh, I didn't really want to make that decision until I knew that I was going to be in California for sure or somewhere else for sure, Um, because although I'd moved back from, I moved back from Seattle in the winter um, to essentially Marin County, just north of San Francisco. I wasn't sure if I was actually going to stay. And so I didn't want to start like working with Laura um, if it was just going to be like a really short-term thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I coached myself for um, basically from January until uh, until I went out to New Hampshire in May. Um, and so, yeah, that was a weird experience. Tell me more about it. What was so weird about coaching yourself, writing your own workouts, and not really being accountable to anyone else? Uh, I'd never done it before. Um, like, you know, planning 
weekly mileage and like how that progresses is really simple. Um, I've never read like a coaching book or anything like that. And so the only thing I really had to draw on was like running logs that I've kept since essentially high school. Um, and so really I don't, I'm not, I don't have very much expertise in like how workouts should develop. Like I know that basically you want to start with like base work and kind of like progress into speed and more specific work. Um, but actually doing that and being confident that you're making the right decisions is like a whole nother thing. Yeah. You know, um, you never had to think about it in the past. You just did what you were told. Yeah. It was all, it was a lot of things that I had never thought about before. Um, like, Never had I actually on a warm up like thought about if I was doing the right workout or not. Like I would just show up and do whatever my coach said, you know, and like I just You trust them. Yeah, you trust them, you believe that you're doing the right thing, like there's some logic to it. Um whereas when I was coaching myself in the winter, I would find that on warm ups I'd be like I think this is the right thing I should do, but like, is it the right thing I should do? And so having the power to like make last minute changes or like decide where every workout was going to be, um, was something that like I hadn't really anticipated. It was a bit harder than I expected, honestly. Um, you know, sometimes there's just days where like things aren't going well in training and you need someone there to tell you like oh actually it doesn't matter you need to do this anyway mm -hmm. whereas when i was coaching myself i was simultaneously trying to have like a coaching brain and an athlete brain um because normally i would have dialogue with my coach where like we talk about how i'm feeling and what the point of the workout is and like okay does it actually make sense to do these 200s after the workout if I'm not feeling very good. Um, and so kind of having like these two halves of myself that were like battling against each other was very weird. Cause it's very weird. Like if you're five mile reps into a workout, you're not thinking from a coaching standpoint at that point. You're thinking like, Oh my God, my legs feel terrible. Like I don't. Yeah. Self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I say all that, I think I ended up doing a fairly good job. Um, I was in really good shape. Um, I mean, I think a lot of that is I just had a really good fall. So it's hard to mess. It's hard to mess it up when things are going right. You know, essentially I would do like tempo or like more base work on Tuesday, more speed or track stuff on Friday, long run on Sunday. Like there's not really all that much to it. Um, but yeah, it was hard. It was like, it was weird to be writing out like training eight weeks in advance. I had never done that before and I enjoyed it, but I don't think I would want to do it for myself. Yeah. I mean, I think to the point you made, a little while ago, it's hard to separate the athlete brain and, and the coach brain. And when you're laying out an eight-week block or a 12-week block, I mean, it's hard to know how you're going to feel 
two weeks down the road, four weeks down the road, eight weeks down the road. But when you put it down on paper, you feel like you have to do it. And then you're like, well, I don't really want to adjust it. And you can see how that spirals very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I probably leaned to adjusting more than I should have. Like I would have one plan and then something would change and I would be like, all right, well, like I should make more adjustments to like adjust for the change, I guess. Um, I don't know. It it was, it was a good experience. I'm glad that it happened. Like, I think that it taught me a lot about who I am as an athlete and what kind of workouts I like. And then it also taught me like having a coach is a great thing. Like you should probably have one. Um, and so to go back to how I got to where I am now, I had been coaching myself the 10K didn't go very well in Texas, but like I thought that I could run another 10K um, fairly like quickly after because I'd only actually run a bit more than four miles of the race. Um, and got through like maybe a week and a half of training, two weeks of training after that, um, and just had my adductor kind of go like I had sort of been feeling it after the 10k um and then I had done probably a couple weeks later I was doing 600s a bit faster um than some of the things I had been doing before and after that workout it just like completely seized up on me um and just stuck around for a surprising amount of time um like I had taken a few days off and tried to make a comeback and then like essentially did that a few times and then was like, all right, well, what's going on? Because I'm having this pain like in my pelvis and like kind of in my groin and adductor. I actually thought that I had had a stress reaction um, in my pelvis, which turned out not to be the case. Yeah, don't do that. I've had three of them. It's no fun. Yeah. I, I haven't had one, but I've heard they're terrible. Um, and so I basically wasn't running all that much and Dan came out to California. Um, well, he was going to come out to California to run, um, a 5k in Fresno. And so he was like, you should come back to New Hampshire with me after the race. Um, and I wasn't running that much. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it wouldn't really get in the way of anything. Um, and so basically after Dan ran that 5K in Fresno, we got on a flight, uh, a red eye back to Boston, um, and then took the bus up to Hanover. And I had planned to be out there for like two or three weeks. Um, I just wanted to sort of check things out and see if um, it might be a place where I wanted to live. Like... I love California. I love being around my family and um, my high school coaches, just these people that love me a lot um, and are like a great support system. Um, but like I had been doing all my training on my own and I didn't really see a situation in California where I was going to have um, training partners all of a sudden. And so I was like, well, you go to New Hampshire you see if you like it, maybe you could train out here 
with uh, Dan and Ben if you like it. And so went out there with the intention of staying for two or three weeks. I ended up liking it a lot. Um, I had a lot of fun and uh, ended up staying out there for basically two months as long as I could. Um, Did you stay there through Peachtree and then come back home? Yeah. I basically flew from Boston uh, to Peachtree and then flew from Peachtree back to here. Um, Really just because, like, I've been living out of a suitcase for the last, like, two months. And so I'm going to bring some more stuff back to uh, Hanover, and I'm going to run a 5K in L.A. in about a week. Um, And so it just made sense for me to come back to California um, for a little bit. How long had you been in New Hampshire before you decided that it was a place that could potentially work for you or you were at least willing to stay there for a while longer to see if it would be a good fit? Um, it probably took me a couple weeks, honestly. Um, I had never met Ben True before. Um, I had never met Sarah True either. Um, and I really haven't spent all that much time on the East Coast. Um, and so I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, you kind of hear that, like, Ben is this lone wolf who just trains on his own. And so you're like, all right, well, maybe he doesn't really like people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's not the case at all. Um, I have to say he's just one of both him and Sarah are two of the, like, nicest, most welcoming people I've had the fortune to come across. Um, You know, I've had dinner at their house a bunch of times. Um, Ben always offers to like loan me his car whenever I need it. Like just goes above and beyond, um, what like, uh, I don't know. Like I was, you know, he doesn't know me at all. Like I'm just this kid that shows up from California. That's the friend of Dan. And all of a sudden he's like super cool with me showing up to train all the time, come over for dinner like lift in his basement, like all these things that like, you know, he doesn't have to do at all. Um, yeah, I, I had my birthday out there. Um, and you know, wasn't really going to say anything about it. Um, we were lifting in Ben's basement at like 7 PM. Uh, Sarah was upstairs making dinner and, Dan like offhandedly mentions like, Oh, it's Fred's birthday. And Ben's like, okay, hold on. Runs upstairs, uh, does a whole bunch of stuff. We go up and there's like all these happy birthday signs up there. They've like gotten (laughs) this little cake together. They've got candles out. Like that's amazing. You know, they just go above and beyond what they need to do. Um, and so I felt very welcome there and just, you know, it, it feels great. Listening to you describe that and watching your body language across from me, I can't help but think of, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes ago when you were you were talking about that last year in Seattle and people had gone their separate ways and you were there by yourself training well, but you weren't happy. And this is the polar opposite of that. Yeah, in a lot of ways it is. Um, I mean, I was living with Dan and so... 
I was living with Dan, and I was also, our other roommate is this lovely woman named Sunny, who's a traveling nurse. And so, you know, to wake up in a house with other people and always have this opportunity to, like, socialize and do things with um, made a huge difference. I think that, like, how welcoming Ben and Sarah were made a huge difference. Um, And, yeah, I mean, it was pretty overwhelming, like, you know, it just it it was such a change to what I had become used to in like the last year, um, and so you know, it it just felt right. It does feel right. Um, I knew probably after a couple of weeks that like it was probably something that I wanted to do, like move out there and stay out there. Um, but you know. I feel like maybe a month after that, I just had this run with Ben. Um, and then Dan and I had like gone to go explore these dirt roads. And I just like had this moment up on the hills there where I was like, yeah, this is like really where I want to be. At any point did Dan or Ben, I guess, because he's the one you're all training with, invite you to stay or at least like plant that seed with you that this is a place, I mean, obviously you sounded welcome there, but this is a place where you could root yourself and be a part of their little training group. Yeah. I mean, I think that Dan started a lot earlier, you know, um, Dan had moved out there with his younger brother originally, um, but kind of after December, Dan was out there on his own. Um, and so I think Dan, in a lot of ways, was probably having some of the same feelings that I was. Um, and so, you know, he wanted me to come check it out because I think he wants me to move out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we both have similar interests. We're both doing the same thing. Like, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um And I don't know if, like, I kind of forget how it transpired with Ben, Um, but, you You started showing up to his workouts one day. Yeah, like, I had figured that while I was in New Hampshire, I would just do the same thing that Ben and Dan were doing. Um, But, like, that quickly, I was probably foolish of me, you know? Like, I wasn't in that good of shape, and so... When I first showed up, like I could not do the things that um, they were doing. Like I was doing different workouts. You know, we'd go to the track together, and they would do six hundreds, and I would do Ks, um, and like basically couldn't do the workouts that I was being prescribed because I was just tired from running faster than I'd ever run before. Um, just on, well, not faster than I was used to running on just my daily runs, lifting way more than I ever had. Um, and so like all of a sudden Ben was just giving me like different workouts. Um, and that kind of progressed as like I spent more time there. Um, like, (laughs) I thought it was a really big moment. Dan like has this spreadsheet that he gets from uh Dan has a spreadsheet that he gets from Ben um with all his training on it. And like I had essentially been a part of Dan's spreadsheet. Like it would say Dan's doing this, Fred's doing this. 
And then I want to say after like a month to six weeks of being there, all of a sudden I had my own spreadsheet. I was like, all right, this is pretty sick. Um, so Ben just kind of started coaching you without you ever really asking him to coach you. Yeah, we never really had a like formal conversation about it. It's kind of just developed organically. Um, and I mean, in some ways, I feel like, you know, Ben and I have had conversations about like moving out to New Hampshire and um, things like that where if it was something that Ben didn't want, he would have had the opportunity to say so, um, which I hope is true. <laughs> I hope that I'm not just going to move out there and he's going to be like, oh, shit. It sounds like just the opposite, that more so he's happy to have you there and, and very much he and Sarah welcomed you into their little community. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Ben's been at sort of the running game for so long that, you know, you do anything for 15 to 20 years, it's going to start to, like, drag on you a bit. Um, I know that he's had some, like, difficult years and probably the last five of them. Um, you know, I can't say, like, specifically, but, you know, I think that having... Dan and I out there, even though, like, I generally I can only do like eighty to eighty-five percent of what Ben does in like just daily mileage or in a workout or whatever it might be. Um, but I think that you know having two guys that are twenty-five years old and excited about like going out and doing things every day, it just makes a big difference for him. Um, I think that the fact that he can roast us a little bit, we can give him a hard time. Like it just brings this energy that he hasn't had for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I do think it makes a difference. Have you guys had any conversations about formalizing it and making it a, a thing where as Ben's career, I don't want to say comes to a close. I have no idea how much longer he's going to be doing it, but safe to say he's probably closer to the end of his professional career than he is at the beginning where he brings you guys along or maybe makes the group a little bit bigger and eventually it's something that you know he he has and and he's got a little group up in Hanover um yeah i mean i think that we are probably at the very beginnings of those conversations um We've talked a little bit about, like, do we actually want to have a group name? Like, do we actually want to <laughs> call ourselves a track club? You know, stuff like that. Um, True's Troops. There, I just named your group. No, just <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, we haven't really, yeah, we haven't thought of a name or anything. Ben's um, Boys. That would be <laughs> not bad. <laughs> I'll stop now. Um, you know, I... I don't want to put words in Ben's mouth, but from talking to him and sort of what he said, I think that after his running career, he wants to have like a coffee roastery or a cafe. Right. Um, and he also wants to be um, a coach. And it sounds like he wants to be a coach for professional athletes um, just because then he can spend more than four to five years with someone and really kind of like, 
spend a long period of time improving and getting to know this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it looks like there, there will be more official things in the future, but as of right now, I can't say for sure. From a training standpoint, when did things start to click for you? You mentioned how when you arrived, you're kind of banged up. You started doing workouts and, you know, you were doing different things at first and eventually could do part of Ben's workouts. But eventually you got to the point where, you know, you were doing 80, 85% of what he was doing on a daily and weekly basis. Do you remember when that finally started to come into place? Yeah. I mean, it probably took me five to six weeks to get to a point where like I could actually like, I don't know what the right word is, like handle myself in these workouts. Um, Like, yeah, for the first four weeks or so, I really didn't do anything that crazy. Like I, so when I first got there, the first workout that I was supposed to do was 10 by a K at 250. Um, I did nine of them and I probably averaged like 252 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 10 by a K at 250 is something I should be able to do. It's something that I've like done before. Um, I've actually run a lot faster than that before. Um, and so that was kind of shocking. Uh, but you know, probably six weeks later, we were doing two Ks. Um, and we were supposed to do, this was before I'd really had like a good workout out there. Like I'd had decent workouts or whatever, but they were nothing like to write home about. Um, we were supposed to do four to five by two K. Uh, I was going to run them in like five forty five, um, which really isn't that much slower than what I was doing my one Ks at. Um, Ben was doing uh, the two K's as well, but he would run a mile and then close his last 400 in like 60 ish. Um, but for whatever reason felt really good that day. Um, I was running like 542, 543. Um, didn't end up doing five. Ben just wanted to be cautious, but he was like, Hey, you can close the last like 400 with me on the last one. Um, so we went through in 435, closed in 60. I was like, okay, things are coming together a little bit. Um, and yeah, basically from around that point, like five, six weeks into training out there, um, things started to go well. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want like more workouts or. I mean, I could geek out on that sort of stuff all day, but I don't want to completely bore my listeners with it, especially since we've been at this for a little more than an hour now and I have a, a lot more ground that I want to cover with you. I guess the next question I have is what have you learned from Ben, who is a wily and successful veteran of the sport in the time that you've gotten to spend with him these last few months as you begin to develop in your own career as a post-collegiate athlete? I think probably the biggest thing that I've realized just in being around Ben and like seeing how he trains is that being patient and being the most well-rounded athlete you can be is the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, I 
in the last like two and a half months have run more speed work than I have probably in the last like seven years or so. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just done. Like I still run all my tempos in the same way. I do way more speed work. I lift way heavier than I ever did. Um, and we run hills all the time as well. And so we kind of like cover all the bases that you need to cover. Um, and you'd think like, all right, well, like even as, like even as Ben is going to approach the marathon, say, um, or whoever is going to approach the marathon, like Ben believes that you still need to hit that speed work because it has such a big influence on like, I guess just biomechanics and how you feel, Mm -hmm. um, at these slower paces. And so, you know, it's important to hit everything, which seems fairly self-explanatory, but I don't think a lot of people actually do it. Yeah. I think it's an easy thing to lose sight of. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were, there was plenty of times where I would just wouldn't do like any speed work in college because I didn't want to get hurt or I wouldn't run hills cause I didn't want to get hurt. Like I didn't want to mess up my Achilles or something like that. Um, and now funny enough, like I spend the most time I ever have in spikes now and my Achilles feels the best it ever has. Um, which you'd think is kind of backwards, but it makes sense if I'm like spending a bit of time in spikes every week that I would be more used to it. But that's just not how I thought about it in the past. Sounds like for a number of reasons, you're just a stronger, more well-rounded, and most importantly, happy athlete. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the happiness thing definitely helps as well. Like, I don't think that can be understated um, or more, you know, that's, that's a huge piece of it. Um, yeah. How about not being on a collegiate racing schedule? I mean, for all intents and purposes, 2020 was an off year as far as racing went, but you don't have to get ready for a spring track season necessarily and a fall cross country season. And then not that you ever, well, I guess you ran indoor at Washington, certainly not at Redwood in high school, but don't have to be ready for an indoor season and then ready again for an outdoor season. You can kind of take your time with things and give yourself the space that you need to really train consistently for a long time and develop. I'd I'd be curious just to get your take on that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I think I got myself into trouble a lot in college because felt like you needed to be ready for stuff. You know, you as the athlete, you feel like you need to be like contributing to your team or, like doing the things that you're like technically supposed to be doing. And I felt like in college a lot, my college coaches would like rush you back so that you could race in time to like score points for whatever. Um, And now that essentially if something has gone wrong and I don't feel like I can race, like I just don't race and I haven't had, like a major injury in probably a couple of years now. Um, yeah, knock on wood. Um, 
you know, it makes a huge difference. I mean, running is just like building layers on itself. And so when you get a major injury and you have to get rid of all your layers like that, that sets you back quite a bit. What advice, if any, has been given you at this point of your post-collegiate career, just a couple years removed from college, just made your road racing debut and hopefully have a bright future ahead of you? I don't know. I I don't think I've received a ton of advice, to be honest. Um, I know that, like, I've been told to enjoy it, you know? Like, you know, who knows how many of peach trees I'll have in my life, you know? And so, you know, take the time to enjoy it and kind of, like, cherish it. Um, and, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I I honestly don't think I've received all that much advice that um, has been different from advice that I'd received before. Does it feel like it sinks in better at this point of your life? Mm, Not really. I mean, it's it's funny. Like, getting second at Peachtree was like a a big thing for me. Um, It's like a big deal. It's a big result. But in some ways... I don't actually care that much. Um, Like, I want to do it again. I'd like to be consistent and, like, show people that, like, all right, like, this is something that he can do. I belong here. Yeah, like, on a, on whatever, a monthly basis or whatever, a consistent basis. Um, You know, it was huge for myself and just showing that, like, all the work that I've been doing is working and, like, yeah, I I do belong here. Um but I think that for myself now I would like to be consistent. And if I can go be consistent and see these like results um that are all like positives, I'd be like, "All right, like we have something going here." To go in a bit of a different direction. I'm really curious as someone who is from the East Coast and now lives in California. You are someone who is from California, spent pretty much your entire life, as far as I know, on the West Coast. You went to college in Washington, as you described. You've been living on the East Coast now just for a few months. What has that transition been like? How is life on the East side of the U.S. different from what you experienced here growing up in California and then going to school in Washington? Yeah, in some ways it's very different. Um I think more so it's different because I've always lived very close to a major city, if not in a major city. Um, Like I was born in San Francisco, um, spent most of my childhood within like 15 minutes of San Francisco, lived in Seattle for six years, um, and now I'm going to live somewhere where the closest city is like two hours away. And so life moves a lot slower. Um, There's not a whole lot going on, but I don't think that that's reflective of the East Coast. I think that's just reflective of me being, uh, you know, far away from a city. And yeah, it's very different. It's crazy. I mean, I drove up to Maine with Dan um, and on the drive back, when we were driving at night and I couldn't see 
the light of a house for like 30 minutes, I was like, where is everyone? Like, where are we? How is there even a road here if no one lives here? Um, I've never lived somewhere where there's so much land and so much space between people. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. I think that like, in some ways you're farther from everything, but you're also a lot closer to it just because there are fewer people. People are more, um, I guess, receptive or like welcoming to others. I find that like almost everyone says hi out um, in New Hampshire and Vermont. They're very friendly. They want to talk to you, which isn't always the case in the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> you know, I say hi to people on the trails here and they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, can't you just say hello? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I found that the West Coast and the East Coast aren't that different at all. Um the only weird thing is like trying to navigate the time change with calling like my parents and stuff back home, but that's about it. Dude, I've been here on the West Coast for a little over 10 years now. I still haven't gotten used to that. I mean, I wake my dad up multiple times per week when I call him like at the end of my workday and he's pretty much in bed at that point. Um, you have the opposite problem, just calling on the early side of things. Yeah, I mean, basically... I would call it a normal hour when I was in Seattle. Um, and now when I call, I'm usually either getting into bed or I'm in bed when I call my parents, um, which in some ways doesn't matter at all, but like it's kind of weird as well. I'm definitely not used to it. Where do things go from here for you? We're having this conversation in Marin County, where you're from, where I now live you're going back to new hampshire sometime in the next few weeks take me through how you're thinking about these next steps for you uh yeah so my like immediate next steps i'm racing in la on the 25th that's a 5k um track yeah mount sac um then i'll go back to new hampshire and basically train in New Hampshire through, I'm going to run, oh, I don't actually know if I'm allowed to say these things. I guess I probably am. Just speak in broad strokes. You don't have to give I'm going to run, uh, I'll just say, I'm going to run Falmouth um, in August. August, and then I'm going to run the 20K Champs in September. Um, and so I'll be in New Hampshire through those months. Um, once I run the 20K Champs, I'll come back to Marin um, and sometime in December make the drive uh, all the way across the country with hopefully a bunch of stuff um, and actually like have all my things in New Hampshire. That would be nice. Uh, I'm not looking forward to the drive, but um, that's kind of the immediate plan. And uh, I imagine I'll take a little bit of downtime after the 20K champs and then kind of build things back up. Uh, and then I will probably make my half marathon debut um, at the USA Champs in December, but that hasn't been set in stone yet. Have you and Ben had any coach-athlete type conversations about your trajectory, not just between now and the end of the year, but over the next few years since you're planning to base yourself there and be a part of his little group? 
We actually haven't had any long-term discussions about that stuff. Um, I'm not sure if we will either. Um, I just, uh, you know, in some ways I try and be very respectful of Ben's life. I'm like this 25-year-old kid that just kind of showed up on his doorstep (laughs) one day. Um, And so I kind of let him be in the driver's seat with everything. And so when he wants to have that conversation, like I'll be more than open to it. But if we never have that conversation, that's fine too. Like I'm sure he has ideas in his head and so do I. And, you know, I'm sure that they're fairly similar as well. So for now, you just need to show up, work hard, find opportunities and take advantage of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just, I don't know, keep doing the things that I've been doing for the last year and a half to two years and just keep doing it in a new place with kind of better resources and better people. And um, yeah, just being like a, I don't know, happier, more well-rounded athlete in person as well. While you're in New Hampshire training and pursuing the post-collegiate running thing, how will you spend the rest of your time? Are you just going to focus on that? Are you going to take any more steps toward getting into architecture? Like, Take me through your thought process on that. Is it something you're interested in at this point, or can it wait a little bit longer? Uh, it's something that I'm interested in. Um, I mean, I think that until someone is like, hey, we're going to pay you to run, um, I have to have something else going on. Like I was taking some class in the fall. Um, So I think when I get out to um, New Hampshire, I'll probably pick up a part-time job. Um, Honestly, probably just like work in a bookstore or something like that. Um, I studied English in college as well. Uh, So I like books. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just something that like, eats up some of that time where you just wouldn't be doing something otherwise. Um, you know, having an income and stuff would be sweet as well. Do you feel like you need that something else to balance out the commitment you have to running? Yeah, it's, I find that I need it more so because I'm trying to balance out like all the extra time that I have. Um, I've spent, a lot of time um, reading and writing and drawing in the last like couple years. Um, like I, so I majored in English at UW. I minored in architecture. Um, spent a lot of time like getting things ready to apply to a grad program for architecture, um, and then have also spent a lot of time just like writing as well. Um, you know, I wrote a bunch of short stories and a bunch of poetry in college and have kind of kept that going as well um, after college. We've been going for a while here. I do want to hit on a few more things before we wrap up. I'd love to go back to your beginnings in the sport. You ran at Redwood High School here under Laura Schmidt. We'll talk about her in a bit. But what was your introduction to the sport? So I got my start pretty early. Um, My dad has been a runner and a biker um, for a long time. And when I was probably five, my dad ran a race at Piper Park. 
Um, and there just so happened to be a kid's race at the same time, uh, actually a little bit before his race. And so he and I ran this little like race around Piper Park um, when I was five. And that was kind of my introduction to it. Um, do you remember that race? I do. I do. I remember because I got second. <laughs> and I they gave me this little like plaque thing that says second on it. And it really bugged me that I was second and that I hadn't won. Um, so that chip got put on your shoulder pretty young. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm just um, giving you a hard time. <laughs> you know, I had fun doing it. Yeah. And basically from that point on, like sometimes I would ask my dad if there were like races happening or something. And so I had, I raced quite a bit, like as a kid, I never really trained or anything. Um, in middle school, I would like go for easy runs with my dad sometimes, but that was about it. Like I wasn't really into training even when I got to high school. Um, did you like the racing though? Yeah. I've always really liked racing. Um, you know, I, yeah, I loved to race. Like, I, I loved racing all the time. Like, I loved cross-country. I wanted to run all the cross-country races. Um, yeah, I I liked it. I don't know. I probably just liked the way it felt, and I probably liked that I was good at it as well. Um, you know, like, I had early success. Let's fast forward to your time at Redwood. Did you know that you wanted to run cross country and track when you got to high school because you had raced a little as a kid and your dad was a runner? Did it take some convincing? Did Laura Schmidt pull you out of a meeting and say, you're going to be on the team? I'd love to understand how you ended up there. Yeah. So sometime in middle school, I like I would run cross country in the fall and I would do like our middle school track program in the spring and I started getting sick of track like my eighth grade year I was like I'm not gonna run track um ended up not doing it and so when I got to high school I was like all right well I want to run cross country but I don't think I want to run track like I might play soccer or something um and I don't really remember why that changed um like, I mean, I had a good time running cross country my freshman year. Um, and no, Lord never like told me that like, I, this is what I needed to be doing or whatever. Um, I guess, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure why it changed, but I decided that I would run track that spring um, and actually ended up enjoying track that spring more than I had enjoyed cross country. Um, and so at that point I was like, all right, well I'll probably run cross country and track the rest of high school. What was it about the experience of being on the cross country and track teams at Redwood that was appealing to you and made you want to stay with it for the rest of your time there? Um, Probably a lot of factors, honestly. I mean, you know, my best friend in high school uh, ran cross-country and track as well. Um, a guy named Jack Bullock, he 
was there my freshman and sophomore year and then I actually moved back to Australia after that. But, you know, like I loved hanging out with him. Um, and it, it honestly was more like hanging out and like messing around. Um, there were lots of days that Jack and I would just like run really fast in the beginning and then stop running and like go explore in the woods somewhere <laughs> and like walk around and then run back. Um, or, you know, like scare people on runs or something stupid like that. Um, and so, you know, I just had a good time. I, I, I think that I didn't have an easy time in high school outside of like cross country and track. And so I think that because I was having a good time there that it like made it that much more special. Um, like, you know, I looked forward to it every day and, you know, had enough success and like was kind of like, I guess I felt like I got influence on the team fairly early, if that makes sense. So like, I felt like this ownership of it, um, fairly early on. And so I think that like, you know, I just wanted to have like the best team that we could have. Was it because you were good or you just found yourself in sort of a leadership role from very early on? Probably both. I mean, I think it was just because we didn't like based on the guys that we had on the team and like how well I was running, like I wasn't our top guy or anything. Like I was probably third, um, my freshman year. And then I was probably like second or third again, my sophomore year. Um, but the older guys that we had, like we had, like we had one, we, you would have two captains essentially. And so we had like one guy who was kind of an established captain, but we didn't have another one. And so, you know, for whatever reason, Laura decided that like I could be the other captain. And so like, I just felt this ownership of the team and, you know, wanted us to do well. What was your relationship like with Coach Laura Schmidt in high school? It changed a lot as I was like a freshman and then got older. Um, so I was coached by Laura Schmidt, and I was also coached by her son, Jake Schmidt. Um, also a UW alum. Mm -hmm. I, I know for a fact I was terrified of Jake for like the first year plus why Jake would only show up on Saturdays and we would run the hardest workouts when Jake showed up and he would just like, you know, I didn't really know him. And so he would just show up and like, he wouldn't yell at us, but you know, he would like, he was more intense or intimidating than Laura was. I can um, see that. And I also thought Laura was a little bit scary. <laughs> um, freshman cross country you know i i hadn't really ever had like a real coach before and so i don't think that like i necessarily understood um what their job was and like how they were gonna get it done um because like looking back now i'm like well jake and laura are wonderful people who like only want the best for you um so it's funny to me that i was scared of both of them um, How long did that last? 
I wasn't scared of Laura for very long. Um, she and I like had a relationship pretty early on. Um, Jake, I feel like Jake drove Jack Bullock and I to a meet our sophomore year. And Jack and I were like freaking out because we were like, oh my God, Jake's going to drive us. Like, what is he going to talk to us about? Like, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then it was awesome. Like, you know, Jack had swam, um, growing up. And so they were like going to race each other in the swim race. And like, we just realized that like Jake was just like this nice, funny guy or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I'd had a good relationship with both of them my freshman and my sophomore year. Um, and after my sophomore year, when I didn't make state in track, I was pretty frustrated. Um, I feel like I'm saying that a lot today. You know, I wanted to be better. I wanted to make state. And so I like kind of asked, I told Laura that um, and like asked her what I could do. And she was like, well, you know, you should get a running journal, you should run every day over the summer, um, all these things that I'd never really done before. And at that point, I forget exactly what was going on in Jake's life, but I basically ran with Jake every day over the summer going into my junior year of um, high school. And so, you know, I spent a ton of hours with them, just talking one-on-one. -on -one. Um, at that point, like most of the guys that I had run with had graduated. And so it was basically just me like running on my own. Like I had other guys, but like they just weren't fast enough really. Um, and so really just developed like an incredible relationship with both Jake and Laura um, after my sophomore year, like, I mean, really can't be overstated how big of a role they both played in my life, and they continue to. Like, you know, I was at Laura's house with Jake and the rest of her family, like, less than a week ago. Um, you know, there are people that, like, I hope that I will be able to, like, talk to and hang out with for the rest of my life. Like, they are family to you. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, Laura, yeah. Jake's like an older brother and Laura's like another mom, essentially. In that summer where you were running with Jake every day and you guys got to spend all that time together, I think he's, what, maybe 10 years older than you? What did you learn from him? Probably everything, honestly. I mean, you know, Jake is... Jake works really hard. Um, he goes and gets what he wants um, and, like, works hard enough to do that. Um, and so, you know, I think that Jake really showed me, like, how to work hard for something and how to be, like, confident enough in yourself that, like, you believe that that work is going to pay off. Um but, yeah, I mean, the amount of things that I have learned from Jake is just crazy. 
Did having that really close relationship with the two of them at the end of your high school career make the transition to college challenging in any way? Yes and no. I mean, it was definitely a transition for me to go from having such a close relationship with my coach to not having that with my coach. Um, But, I mean, both Jake and Laura did a good job of, like, making it clear to me that that probably wasn't going to be the case in college. Um, And I think that the fact that I could call them at any point like was very comforting to me, you know, and like really Seattle is far away from San Francisco, but it's really not that far. Like they're really only a plane flight away. They came up to some of the Dempsey meets um, and I'd see them every time I came back. And so I don't think I struggled with it all too much. Um, Or maybe I did and I just don't realize that. Last question, because I've kept you a lot longer than I told you I would. What is exciting you most about running right now, whether it's your own pursuit of it or the sport in general? For myself, I think the most exciting thing is that I obviously had a really good result. And because I've been training with Ben for the last two months, I have this very, like, concrete benchmark ahead of me um where i see that like okay ben can run this fast this far he lifts this much and i'm so far away from every single one of those benchmarks that like the amount of progress i can still make is so exciting keeps you hungry yeah i'm like oh i could be so much better (laughs) like i feel like I've barely scratched the surface, you know, like, yeah. I mean, the, probably the day that I left, Ben texted me how much he had lifted that day. And Ben's lifting, like deadlifting this for six reps. I don't think I could move the bar off the floor, (laughs) you know, um, And so I just feel like there's, like, this world of improvement that I can make. Um, As for, like, the sport in general, I'm excited. Like, I just feel like American distance running is getting better, you know, on the women's side, on the men's side. Like, it's so good right now. I mean, 800 to the marathon. I mean, we're as good as we've ever been, I think. Yeah, in you know, it's, I tell this to people that don't run, the people in running never change, you know, the people that I ran against in high school are still the people that I run against now. Like no one just enters the sport out of nowhere and is like crazy good. And so it's exciting for me to have all these peers and all these friends within the sport that like are now doing these amazing things. Like I have three or four, maybe five friends that are going to go to Tokyo and be an Olympian. And like, you know, it wasn't that long ago when I would spend every single day with them. And so like, just even though I'm not the one that's doing it personally, like being a part of this, like, I don't know, these incredible things is just so 
rewarding. Like it makes me happy. Um, it makes me happy that people are doing so well. And I just think it's exciting that American distance running is so competitive. Like if you're one of the top guys, you have a chance to do something cool on the international level. Um, and I just think that's like a really cool place to be. And I think that like, as I get better myself and kind of have, I don't know, more people look up to me. I think it's exciting that like, well, I get the opportunity to like share this sport with more people and like give wisdom to high school kids or whatever it might be. Well, I'm excited that you're a part of it. I'm happy to see you so happy and excited about the rest of your career. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate the time and thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was uh it was great. First podcast done. <laughs> probably the longest you'll ever do at an hour and almost 50 minutes at this point. So hopefully um, I can keep that PR for a while. Sweet. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. There's no sponsor for this week's show, but if you'd like to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support, where for as little as a buck a week, you can help keep the Morning Shakeout sustainable and also gain access to some exclusive content like the Weekly Rundown, which is my Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend Billy Yang, the occasional emergency pod, and other perks that pop up from time to time. A big thank you to all of you who are already members. Your support means so much to me, and I cannot thank you enough for it. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout-out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you'll love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 